This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. So on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. You want to just tell us who you are? Yeah, for sure. Uh, my name is Craig Johnson. Uh, I have a PhD studying the right wing internationally with a focus on South America and Latin America in general. I write about fascism. I make a podcast called 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global radical right. Got to get the whole tagline in there. And I am also writing a book about how to prevent the right-wing radicalization of young men. That's great. And on your page, you call your podcast uh, 15 Minutes of Fascism, as you mentioned, a sadly topical podcast, and point to the rise of the radical right around the globe, you know, as what makes it topical. You know, what are the top examples uh, internationally or uh, otherwise that come to mind? Um, you've covered a lot of different areas. Uh, you know, what's the most worrying currents, worrying phenomenons, worrying trends as far as you see right now? Yeah, so there has been a wave of right-wing political leaders throughout the world over the last probably, I would say, four or five years. A lot of those people are currently out of power right now, like Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil and Donald Trump in the United States. But a lot of them are still in power. You know, uh, Modi, the prime minister of India, is right. working with a party, you know, a party called the BJP, which has its roots in another political organization in India called the RSS, which is arguably the largest and most powerful fascist organization in the world right now. Uh, other leaders that are still in power are people like Viktor Orban in Hungary, uh, Giorgio Maloney in Italy. Uh, these are prime ministers of extreme right-wing parties. Uh, so that's, you know, probably the most apparent trend is that fascism is, and the right-wing in general, are growing in power in, in terms of actual control of national governments and state power. Right. On top of that, though, there has been a worrying rise in right-wing paramilitary activity some of which directly associated with fascism and some of which is just like right-wing in general. And, you know, in the United States, we see this in people like the Proud Boys, organizations like the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers or the Three Percenters, but they're not alone. You know, it's not, that's not just happening in the United States. Right. For example, you know, last month there was a, a major, a major bust of an attempted coup in Germany, right? A right-wing attempted coup. That's right. And, you know, they were planning on like, storming the Reichstag and murdering people and installing a, you know, a, a supposed prince as the king of a new German empire. I mean, mm. right-wing paramilitary activity is big and active in a way that it, I mean, I would say hasn't really been since either the 1960s or the 1930s. You know, those are the, those are the examples right. before now. Yeah, and the podcast, it, it's a great way to educate people. You've got a lot of episodes out. I was listening to more of those episodes uh, just this morning, um, since you've been studying, reading, uh, discussing this uh, area, and you know, and I and I saw on there you had the um, the pieces uh, that are discussing, you know, uh, fascism as seen in the movies and that kind of thing. You you know, as you discuss this and you hear from others, what what do you see as the most common misconceptions about you know what fascism is, you know, where it comes from or how it comes to to exist? Yeah, I mean, thanks. 
thanks for being a listener, Nick. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, sincerely. Um, yeah, that that's a super excellent question, and you're right. You know, as somebody who studies this stuff for my job, and also who tries to talk to people about it online, it's uh, it, it, it can be really irritating when the mm. same misconceptions come up over and over again, right? Right. Um, I think you know some of the some of the biggest ones that really you know get get irritating for me. Or whenever people are, whenever people say like, "Oh, you know, well, Stalin was a fascist too," or this right, sort of like right. argument about like left fascism versus right wing fascism, or saying that like, "Okay, well, communism is fascist," blah 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 blah. Right. Um, I think that this stems from a serious misconception and misunderstanding about what fascism is. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if you talked to, for example, fascists in the 1930s, they would be they would be eager to disabuse you of the, of this illusion that fascism and communism are the same. There are no two groups of people that hate each other more than fascists and communists. Right. Um, and that's whether or not the fascists call themselves fascists or not, you know. Um, I think that this is also connected to one of the other things that just really irritates me uh, about people's discussion of fascism. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe irritates too strong. Well... Uh, Lots of times when people say fascist, when people call someone a fascist, they mean it as an insult. You know, they mean it as a derogatory term. Right. Right, you know, a cop does something wrong and people say, oh, well, he's a fascist. Um, Somebody in an organization is too controlling and they say, like, oh, he's a fascist. Right. A principal at a high school, you know, does something that's, like, you know, a little too cruel, a little too cruel of punishment to a student. People say, like, oh, he's a fascist. Uh, people right. use fascism to mean like political thing that I don't like, as opposed to understanding it as a very specific and particularly dangerous political phenomenon. Right. Right. So this means that folks end up saying things like, "Well, George W. Bush was a fascist just because he's a right winger and people didn't like him." Right. This misses this misses like the most important thing about fascism, which is that it's a political movement of the right wing. It's on the extreme fringes of the right wing, and its purpose is to move the rest of the right wing further to the right. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. They work in a coalition with other people on the right wing, and their job is to move the coalition to the right. That's what they want. And their other big job is to do the dirty work that you know mainstream conservatives, that the mainstream right can't do or is unwilling to do. Right. right? George Bush wasn't a fascist. He was just... He was just a conservative president. He didn't need to break any rules in order to do what he wanted to do, right? He was he was playing the rules of the game, you know. I mean, you know, he did not actually win his election, but that was the, the those are the rules, right? You know, like the electoral college is how the rules work, you know. Right. The Supreme Court that's how the rules work. He was following the rules. Fascists don't play by the rules. That's the very big difference. Like, this is why. People like Trump or people like Bolsonaro are worrying. It's because they're they're listening to fascists in their coalition, mm. like people like Steve Bannon, telling right. them to say like, "Well, screw the rules. Just tell them you what. Yep. Just, just just ignore the rules. Just cheat. You know." Um, which is something that somebody like you know um, Mitt Romney would never do because he's not a fascist. He's just a right winger. He plays by the rules. The other big difference that people, you know, misconceive about fascism is that, and, and again, this is part of missing, misunderstanding 
the nature of fascism and, you know, calling somebody like George W. Bush a fascist is that unlike all other political movements that, that I've ever heard of or, or tried to study, fascism believes that violence isn't just useful. They think that violence is good. Right. right? So, like, a lot, of, a lot of political movements believe that violence can be useful in order to achieve their ends. Almost all revolutionary organizations believe this. The United States believes this, right? Right. That's why we have an army. It's to go use violence to achieve political goals. But, you know, when, when Joe Biden is saying, like, hey, we're going to drone strike Yemen or something, he's not saying, and that is because violence is good, and it makes good men, and it makes a good world, and it's good for men to be violent. Fascists say those things. They believe that violence makes good men, and that good violent men make a good world. That's, that's what they want. That's what they believe. And it's a, it's, it's a major categorical difference between fascism and the rest of the Red Wing. One other thing. Can you, um, I, I think you've touched on this in the, in the podcast as well, just like how it develops and what kind of a system or what kind of a, a government and things like that that you'll see fascism developing out of. I think you've, you've talked about this a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fascists generally come about from movements of disaffected, as in like, you know, like they, they, they don't feel like they have a place in society. Disaffected, downwardly mobile, young men. Uh, so anytime that you're in a society where you see large groups of people like that who aren't being taken up uh, and organized by other political movements, like, right. for example, socialists or a religious movement or something like that, right. a lot of those guys are going to end up being fascists. Mm-hmm. Typically, fascism gets, I mean, fascism can get big in contexts where people, like everyday people, believe that their country is on some sort of big decline. So, you know, like Weimar Germany was not as stable of a country as right. the German Empire was. I mean, it was new. Germany had never been a republic before. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but the other thing to note is that um, that's the context in which fascist organizations get really big and, like, really successful. The fascist organizations are normal. They're everywhere all the time, you know? Right. We're just talking about fascism a lot now because, because they're actually, like, succeeding. You know, right. because, because they're actually getting large numbers of people to join them again. Back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, fascism was a, a, it was a fringe movement, you know, in the United States, the UK, the rest of Europe, South America. It was, you know, it was a fringe organization. Right. The thing that's different now is that there are larger numbers of these disaffected people who don't have anywhere else to go or they think they don't have anywhere else to go, you know. I, I, I'm not suggesting that fascism is an actual alternative. Right. They've just been... They believe that it is right. Right. Um, that's the difference. Yeah, and, and just one more thing that I wanted to touch on, but because I listened to another one of your uh, episodes um, that wasn't in the original question. So one other thing that's been coming up that I've been, I don't know, yeah, irritating me a little bit, or just um, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, the media talking about. I think you and you've covered a little bit like Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. Um, you know, kind of just calling it a disaster or a mistake or something like that. And then also even more recently to the, like, to the House Republican, Speaker of the House election, calling it a circus or saying the Republicans are in disarray. But to me, you know, my reading of kind of both of those and other things that are going on right now that the media kind of just sees as, like, funny or like, oh, they messed up, 
is like it's just part of the ongoing obstructionism distraction and the you know kind of the creation of chaos that you know one might look for for example i think it was my understanding from the reading that i'd done both factions in the house speaker you know so-called factions in the house speaker thing were both talking to trump they were both communicating with trump in some way uh, or some elements of them were so behind the scenes to me it seemed like you know he he and some of the people around him were still uh potentially pulling the strings what's your take on you know, kind of like disarray, you know, disorganization versus like obstructionism. Do you have any uh, concrete perspective yeah, on that? that's a good question. Um, I, I think that when it comes to Musk purchasing Twitter, I mean, honestly, my my take, and, you know, I, I haven't thought too, too, too deep that's into fair. this. Uh, I think that Musk bought Twitter because he was upset about his ex-wife dating a trans person. Hmm. That's, that's, that, that's why I think he bought Twitter because Chelsea Manning is very popular on Twitter and that he wanted to make it easier to be transphobic and just like use that kind of verbal violence on the internet. Um, and it turns out that he's just, you know, he's just like a, just a jerk. He's just a right wing jerk from South Africa. Who's like racist and transphobic. Um, right. So I mean, he had a, you know, like, I mean, he had a goal, like he had a goal in mind and, purchasing it, yeah, that he yeah. wanted to change yeah, exactly. the way that it was going to be. And that, you know, like, I guess kind of he was willing to put whatever, you know, he's got loads of money. He was willing to put whatever money he had yeah, to exactly. into doing that. I mean, it's also possible that he knew that Tesla was overvalued and was like, well, I better use this money right now. He's been talking about that in that context. When it comes sure. to the house, I think that this is a perfect, I, I think that you're right that like, there's something there's something more than just like, oh, the Republicans have fumbled the ball, right? Mm-hmm. Like that—that's the narrative you get a lot of the time in the media. It's just like, oh, look at this horrible disaster for them, right? And like, yeah, it is a big disaster for them. Like, it's not good for the Republicans that they've shown up like this. But just talking about the disaster, I think, obscures the important thing about about the fight over the House of Representatives leadership over, over the Speaker, and it, it obscures the fact that. This is an example of coalition building. People usually miss this when they talk about fascism. Like people on the left, we're, we're, we're extremely familiar with the concept of like, oh, the popular front, right. the united front, like maybe, maybe socialists and communists and other genres of leftists we might need to work with, liberals or centrists or even sometimes conservatives in order to fight fascism right. or in order to get something that we want. You know, we're, right. we're very familiar with that idea. What people are less familiar with, and for some reason have a hard time thinking about, is that like the right wing isn't a monolith either. There's nobody pulling the strings behind the curtain right. either. They are comprised of competing factions, just like us. Right. Fascism is one of those factions. Mainstream conservatives are one of those factions. In the United States, libertarians are one of those factions. And what we see, what we saw in the House last week, this fight over the McCarthy speakership was an example of the extreme right-wing part of the Republican coalition being able to, you know, bat above its weight a little bit, mm. got to be kingmaker, because they've they've actually done a lot of work in organizing, and then they were powerful in their coalition. They were able to get concessions. They were able to get stuff that they want. And, you know, that's something that, frankly, like, the left-wing part of the Democratic Party is not powerful enough to do a lot of that stuff. Right. Like, you know, we can't get the Medicare concessions that we want. We can't get a lot of the labor rights concessions that we want. 
we've barely been able to get progress on some of the LGBTQ rights that we want. That's true. You know, we've barely been able to get progress in some of the racial rights that we want. Whereas I think that the right wing, the extreme right wing part of the right wing coalition is much more powerful. Yeah, the left wing is very weak right now. Well, and the yeah. the other thing is, you know, the things that the concessions that they want, I mean, are setting it up, I think, essentially for more, um, you know, continued disorganization, chaos, etc. You know, oh, yeah. you have one person can set up to, you know, recall the speaker. I mean, the first concession before they even got there was removing the metal detectors so that the people yeah. in the one, uh, you know, this one fa- faction won't say whether they're carrying weapons into the Capitol. Um, yeah, that's... that's- so that one was astonishing. To there's me. a lot of uh, there's a lot of um, things that are getting set up to just I think create more uh, potentially more disarray at any uh, you know moment in the future. I, I you know I really appreciate you speaking with me. Is there anything else that you want to say or projects, you know, books, events, or anything else that you want to plug? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I just want to want to alert everybody that I can possibly talk to. So, so I'm very glad to, glad to talk to you and your listeners today. Yeah. Um, just to remind everybody that the right wing is organizing actively, um, that they're organizing not just domestically, you know, if you're listening to this in the United States, but they're organizing internationally. Mm-hmm. Right? People on the right wing in the United States pay very close attention to what's happening in places like Italy, in places like Hungary, in places like Brazil, in places like India places like Indonesia, Japan, they talk about this stuff. And so just in order to understand the right wing, you need to understand it internationally. And that's, that's what I try to do. Um, as in terms of plugs, yep. Uh, would love it if uh, anybody started listening to my podcast, 15 Minutes of Fascism. Uh, you can find it wherever good podcasts are made available for free every day right now. Yep. Um, and also, yeah, that I'm, I'm writing a book that's going to be coming out next year about preventing the right-wing radicalization of young men. Um, I'm very excited about it. The book's going to be coming out with uh, Rutledge Press, uh, so keep an eye out. Yeah, that your book topic there is something I'm really interested in as well. I'm trying to work on getting something together specifically on that topic, and if I haven't, if I haven't figured it out, you know, when you have the book uh, out, we should uh, talk about that again. I really appreciate you speaking with I me. I would love to. I would love to. I, it, was, it was great, great to be on here, Nick. Thanks so much. And that's our special interview. Thanks for listening. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.